You're listening to Mystery of 2012, a Sounds True podcast. Episode number seven, The Mystery of 2012, Carl Johann Kalamon on Shifting Through the Underworlds. This week, I dialogue with scientist Carl Johann Kalamon about his unique take on the significance of the Mayan calendar. He shares with us some of the key stories of his view, including the nine galactic underworlds and the all-important tree of life. Carl, I'm, I'm curious a little bit about your background. You're Swedish, is that correct? Yes. Born and raised in Stockholm. How did you become interested in the Mayan calendar? Well, I'm a scientist by training, and uh, it was a point I was a graduate student at uh, the University of Stockholm and um, felt that I needed a break from all the test tubes and and stuff that I was working with. And uh, on some bulletin board, there was this uh, advertisement where it said, go to Mexico and stay in a Mexican family and learn Spanish. And I thought, well, that might be a great break and getting away. And this is now almost 30 years ago, so it was a time when it still, at least from a European perspective, was quite exotic to go to Mexico. There were no charter flights or anything like that. And so I went there like an adventure just to see what what will happen and so, so forth. And unbeknownst to myself, I landed in Mexico City on El Día de los Muertos, which is pretty much now, in other words, the the Day of the Dead, All Saints Day. And, uh, you know, immediately came into this very, very colorful culture with the ancient roots and uh, uh, skeletons hanging from the light poles and uh, bribing policemen. And uh, very rapidly, uh, I took an interest in what this culture was about. And after a while, I also took a third-class train down to Merida, the Yucatan Peninsula. And uh, the more I got down there, I must say, the more I fell in love with the Mayan people, with all the natives. uh, And uh, I've always been very interested in history. And uh, so I I was interested in in these cultures that had emerged here in in the New World. And uh, there was sort of a dilemma here that why was it that these essentially have been developing at about the same time as the, I mean, within a few thousand years or something like that anyway, as the culture on the Eurasian continent. And so, you know, it sort of tells you something that there must be some force or some influence that is not evident directly that has influenced cultures in the different parts of the world and uh, made them sort of synchronized in their evolution in in a certain way. And um, already then I heard about the Mayan calendar and and its end date, and uh, I had an intuitive sense that, yeah, they are right. At that point, I couldn't at all understand why they were right, 
it's a lot of research work in order to see how these different processes conform to the Mayan calendar. But anyway, I, I just intuitively sense that, yeah, they were right. When you said they were right, they were right about what? That their calendar was an accurate predictive tool? Yes, that time has a, a sort of a qualitative aspect that time synchronizes processes and leads to the experiences of these synchronicities. And that's what I mean, that their calendar was more advanced than more advanced, that's not a good word to use, but that it really had something that the other calendars do not have. Now, it's one thing to think about time happening in evolutionary waves and imagining that an ancient culture could come up with what those evolutionary wave movements are. But when it comes to coming up with specific dates, XYZ is going to happen exactly on something like October 28th, 2011. That's when I become quizzical. And I think, how could any people predict an actual date down to the 24-hour period? Well, I don't think they can either. At least that's not my perception. Yeah, so my, you know, my answer to that is that I don't think that's possible. So when you talk, though, about the Mayan calendar and its predictions, it seems like you do talk about specific dates specific dates that we can look to experience between now and 2012. Is that not correct? Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, I'd rather say that I'm talking about different time frames. So, for instance, then for years, for, for a decade at least, said that in the year 2008, the rule of Tezcatlipoca, that's the fifth night, there will be a major economic crisis. But then, you know, if you would have asked me, I would probably have thought that it happened a little bit earlier in 2008. So it's just a time frame there within which you can say that things happen. It's not exact date. I, I never want to give that impression that I can predict anything of exact dates. Okay, so between now and here we are at the end of 2008 when we're recording this together, between now and, let's say, 2013, what do you think are the most important movements of change and the approximate range dates that you want to associate with them that you think we can look to see that the Mayan calendar has predicted? Well, I expect then that the sixth day then, starting November 12 or 13, 2008, will be the beginning of a time period that is kind of chaotic, but also sort of a chaotic in a positive sense, that a time period of quite new openings, an opening to a more egalitarian world where people look upon themselves as equals to another extent. Then comes the the next night then. When you're talking about these days and nights, for people who aren't familiar with the calendar system, what are you referring to? Well, I'm referring to wave movements. What the Mayan calendar entails is a description of different kind of wave movements. Some periods that are periods of novelty, of new things coming into existence, of forward movement. Time periods, in other words, that are more aligned with what is the ultimate purpose of a particular wave movement. 
And then there are also then nights that are the time periods in between. And right now we are in, in such a night is the fifth night of our particular galactic underworld. And these are time periods that are usually more like resting periods. Some of them are, are even destructive. In other words, they destroy old phenomena in order to create the opening for something new. So there's a qualitative difference. This is what uh, history is based on. It is these wave movements of changing energies that the Mayan calendar describes. Okay, so you were talking about the night that we can anticipate coming after this chaotic day that we're about to enter. I would probably be very careful in, in using dates in these particular time ahead. I would like to much more talk about really very, very broad matters of change. You know, over the years, I made a lot of predictions, and there's a lot of people that are immensely impressed with how accurate they have been. And um, really, the reason that I've been doing them is just to sort of make people aware that the Mayan calendar system is true, and so forth. But I have essentially stopped to do that. Things will be so complicated towards the completion of overlapping wave movements of change that it's not really something I would like or be able to do at this point. Okay, so let's pretend it's 2013. How will I know if this great 2012 mystery has occurred or not? Are there any indicators that would be clear to me that said, you know, wow, what Carl was saying about the Mayan calendar, it's true. Look, it's 2013, and the world (laughs) is different in this way. Uh, Well, that's a a very good way of asking the question. You would see that in the sense that there would be simply a much less tense world I don't think there is, uh, as I said earlier, I've never said that there is a specific date when things will happen. Rather, there is a particular date when a wave movement comes to an end. But I don't think that things will just sort of settle immediately. But what will happen is that a new morphogenetic field, if I should use that, a new spiritual influence will dawn upon the planet. But exactly how that will manifest in the human beings, it's not something that I believe will happen over a day or something like that. I don't know if it will sort of settle over a period of one year or many years or so forth. The way I understand it is that it all goes towards this harmonizing of human relationships, of a downfall of hierarchical structures and an increased world of compassion and seeing the divine in everybody else. Those are the very generalized rules of thumb that I would like to use to have that. Do you think that's something that will be universally true, as in every single person on the planet will be having that experience? Or do you think that that's more just there'll be more of a general acceptance of that as the norm in society? Well, this is very difficult things. How well is this 
planet prepared for this change and have we made the right decisions? Are we making the right decisions as a planet and so forth? And um, I don't think everybody will be part of the whole thing. Hard to imagine. So. It's hard to imagine, yeah. It's almost impossible to imagine. So then we're talking about like a change in the zeitgeist, if you will. I think that's the word. Zeitgeist, that would be the spiritual influence on the world. Is that correct? Yeah? Yeah, that sort of commonly held collective view. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Change in the zeitgeist. Yes. Okay. Now, you, you made this reference that we're currently in the galactic underworld, and I know you have a system of nine underworlds, at least that's your interpretation of the Mayan calendar, that it lays out these nine underworlds, and that we're in the eighth one right now, moving into the ninth. So I'm curious if you could describe more what this eighth underworld is like and why it's called the galactic underworld. I mean, first of all, why is it called an underworld if it's just the world we're in? And then why galactic underworld? And then what the heck are we moving into in the ninth underworld? Underworld is basically a term used, it's, it's borrowed from the ancient peoples in Mexico and also the Maya. Uh, they would talk about underworlds. And it, the word is very different from, or the meaning of this word is really very different from what you might spontaneously think. It really is a, is a period of a particular kind of evolution. But, I, you know, it may have to do, the reason it's been chosen it is that there might be uh, influences uh, from the core of the earth on our particular mentality. And uh, so I think that, that that may be an origin to this particular word. And galactic underworld, it really hasn't happened, I, I would say. So we're we're in the eighth underworld, but we haven't really entered this galactic underworld period per se, at least not to the level that you think we will. Yeah, my my sense is that, is that I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't become more uh, galactic, you might say. When I hear uh, that word, I think that we're going to be like, hey, aliens are coming into the studio tomorrow yeah. for a quick two o'clock visit. Yeah, something like that. It doesn't seem like that's uh, what's happening. Another way, though, another way of looking upon it is to look upon that what would change would be our perspective of their world. In other words, that we would be looking upon the world from a much higher perspective, from the perspective of the whole, from a holistic perspective. And that's another way of looking on the term galactic underworld. And I think in that sense, yes, I think that has changed. That there is such a broader way of, of looking at the world than previously. And then you had a third question. What yeah, so that? now we're entering, I presume that we're entering the ninth underworld in this. That's right. In 2012. So from the galactic underworld, which I think we've barely, I mean, Thinking of the Earth as a whole, yes, I think through climate change and other yeah. sense of sort of recognition of our interdependence as a human species, I think we're coming to that. But yet, I'm curious what's beyond that. But also, I, I don't think we have this view right now of ourselves as part of a galactic system, per se. I agree with you. But anyway, so what's coming I, next? Well, it's the then the, the universal underworld that is 
should be a shift then to a cosmic frame of consciousness, even one higher step of, of perspective. But it's not only that there are different levels of perspective uh, associated with these underworlds. It's also then that certain underworlds make you see the world through a dualistic frame of mind, and other underworlds tend to make you see the world through a, a unitary frame of mind. And um, this is something very important because you can see that if people see the world through a dualistic frame of mind, they would be much more inclined to hierarchies. They will be much more inclined to warfare. They will be much more inclined to see themselves as being separate and so forth. So what happened in this, you know, 5,000 years ago when there was one of these significant shifts of an activation of, of a new underworld that you might use the metaphor of they being expulsed from the Garden of Eden and going into a world of conflicts, of warfare, of hierarchies, of patriarchal rule, and so forth. And so this universal underworld, it means, in a sense, a, a return to a unitary frame of, of mind. It's a time when there is balance between the two brain halves with their r relationships to the feminine and, and, and masculine cultures. And uh, if the frame of mind changes in such a way, it means that people will perceive the world differently. And how we perceive the world differently is also how we create our world. That's the reason that I, I believe that the activation of this zeitgeist, as you're saying, or the, this morphogenetic field or so forth, it will settle down in the form of the uh, more harmonized relations than than uh, has been the case previously. Because also the present underworld is actually a dualistic underworld. It's a different kind of a dualistic underworld, but nonetheless it certainly has generated conflicts. For instance, as I said, in, in the past I was doing a lot of uh, Often I was doing predictions, and in the 90s, when the world looked upon us as very, very peaceful, it's, it certainly is, is the, the most peaceful era in, in the history of humankind, at least in the 5,000 last years. I would say that when the new underworld is coming, there will be an activation of, of new conflicts between the East and the West. And this is in my first book, and, and this is exactly what, what has happened, you know, was very evident with the 9-11 and the later various warfares of, of the United States in the Middle East and so, so forth. So this is something that is still, despite the, the nature of, of favoring the, the feminine, our current underworld is still one that, that sort of means that people look upon the world through uh, this conflict-generating dualistic consciousness. So the eighth underworld, the one we're in right now, I know you don't pin things to dates, but you've said that that began at the end of the 20th century, basically. Yeah. So we're going to move from the eighth underworld to the ninth underworld in 13 short years? That will happen February 11, 2011. 
So in, in 11, 12 short years, we're moving from the 8th to the ninth underworld? Yes, yes. That seems pretty swift to me for, yeah, for a that's... global culture that, I mean, neither you nor I think has really entered this galactic yeah. phase of consciousness. Yeah, it does. And it's maybe just, you know, that that's the way it's all designed. And But the swiftness is, you know, maybe the primary reason that is a lot of people that, that find it very difficult to move along with the stream of, of evolution. Okay, so when you talk about these different underworlds, these nine underworlds, you somehow connect the changes from an influence that's coming from quote-unquote, the core of the Earth, or something related to the center of the Earth. Can you help me understand this? Well, everything emanates from the tree of life, or the, the world tree. Okay, so what, what do you mean by that? All ancient peoples would um, have in their mythology the idea that at the center of the cosmos there was a tree of life, or the world tree. And... Um, in Sweden, where I come from, the Vikings would talk about this huge ash called Yggdrasil. And the Maya had their Hunabku, and uh, you find it all over the world. And uh, a few years ago, this tree was discovered. And uh, Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So when I hear you talking about the world tree, I, I presume, first of all, that this is kind of a, a symbol. It's not. Okay. It's reality. It's reality. Okay, so is there uh, a specific tree somewhere, like I can get on a plane and go visit and take a car and go to the tree? Well, it's a little bit big for that. It's a scale of, of uh, billions of light years. You're freaking me uh, out now, Carl. Oh, I see. Okay, it's okay. What are you talking about? What world tree that was discovered that's light years in measurement? I'm not following you here. No, okay. It would have to be a little bit detailed, though, but... Okay, no, I want to understand um, this. I really do. I'm, shall, I'm, I, I'm shall I actually yeah, take devote your time. some time to the, yeah, the answer take your time. That? Take your time. And I have a mythic connection to what the world tree is, but if you're going to help yeah. me have a more actual connection... Real connection. Yeah. yeah. Now, first, you know, it's been thought for... H's, that the idea of Yggdrasil or, or the tree of knowledge in, in the Bible, and the, these are myths. These are just uh, symbols that ancient peoples were, were using. And uh, throughout the, the physics of, of the, all the, the 20th century, is based on the idea that the universe is sort of uniform. It's homogeneous, basically, on the largest scale. And the basic theories of physics is based on, on this idea that the cosmos is homogeneous. Now, what happened in 2003 was that they have sent out this satellite. It's called the WMAP satellite that is measuring the afterglow of the Big Bang. In other words, it's to take, you might say, an infant picture of the universe. You are actually looking then at the temperature distribution, the way it looked maybe 300,000 years after the Big Bang. And what happened was this time, they'd done this before, but this time they had a higher resolution and took new pictures. 
And what happened was that they discovered this time that at the larger scale and from the very beginning of the universe, there is something that they came to call the axis of evil. This is a stupid way of, of labeling it. But the point to realize is that they have found that at the largest possible scale, the universe has an axis. And Why did they call it the axis of evil? Why not just Yeah, you'll have to ask. There are stupid scientists around that do so. The answer, I should say, is that it is so troubling for the for quantum mechanics, for relativity theory, and it's so troubling for the major theories of, of physics. And so from a physicist's perspective, they would call it the axis of evil. What I'm saying is that this is the world tree. It's been discovered. It is the world tree then on the largest level. This is the cosmic world tree that was born in the Big Bang, exactly as it is said in, in the Mayan creation story, where the Hunabku, which is the big polarizing force of the universe, was activated by God. Now, this world tree then has many different levels. You have a galactic world tree, which is the rotating center of, of the galaxy. You have an earthly world tree, which is the, the center of the Earth and the polar axis of the Earth. And then you have uh, human world trees. You have cellular world trees and, and so forth. And uh, right now, I, today, I completed my latest book. And uh, tomorrow, I'll be going to... Um, Inner Traditions and, and deliver this manuscript. And it's a book that takes as its beginning this finding of, of this cosmic axis. And uh, it's a very interesting thing. It tells us that the universe had a structure from the very beginning. And uh, there is more known about this, uh, that it sort of is aligned with several of the, of the ancient views of the Tree of Life. So basically what we're calling a tree is any yeah, it's, is an axis. It's not a physical tree. It's yeah. not a green tree, but it's a big axis. Okay, and that this axis is at the center of our galaxy and that there's also an axis at the center of the Earth and that they're connected in some way? Yes, but there is one more level. It is a, an axis that is at the center of the cosmos. I mean, there are 200 billion galaxies, so it's, it's an unfathomably large scale that this axis exists at. Okay, and then what's the relationship? Now we've got three different, I don't even know if there's such a word, axi, axises. What's that relationship between these different trees and yeah, they, the, they are, the nine they are underworlds? Synchronized. They're synchronized, so, okay. Yeah, they're synchronized. So this is the reason that everything that happens not only on our planet, the Mayan calendar is not a earthly calendar, it's, it's a cosmic calendar. Because ultimately all of these energies come from the, from the central axis of the cosmos, it is actually synchronistically influencing the entire cosmos. And what is an axis? I mean, is an axis sort of the birth of duality? Yeah. So this is exactly from where the, the shifting dualities are emerging in the cosmos, yes. Okay, so the theory that you've interpreted 
from the Mayan calendar of these nine underworlds. We talked about the ninth underworld being this time of a universal underworld. How long is this supposed to last? And then what happens? Do we go back to number one? So that that's the mystery of 2012. And um, the ninth underworld, as I understand it, will last for 260 days. So it's a, it's a very rapidly... 260 days? Every, 260 days? 260 days, That's yes. it? You're kidding me. That's like a blink. That's it? We get universal that's consciousness it. for 260 days? Yeah. Okay. I was hoping after all this hard work, we would at least get, you know, a few <laughs> centuries or something. Yeah. Don't ask me. I was going to say, ask the tree of life. Okay. 260 days. I'm devastated yeah. now, but let's keep going. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, And then what happens? What's, what's going to happen in 2014? What's happening here? What's the next cycle? Well, the cycles end as far as we can say. And what this may mean then is that so far in history, human beings have been like puppets of all these energies coming in and so forth. But at this point, then it would stabilize a particular energy that will sort of allow things to settle. And you might say that one way of putting it is that there will be a shift from the evolution of consciousness to conscious evolution. This could be a little bit hard to grasp because... That's okay. We just got a a cosmic world tree, a galactic world tree in the center of the Earth world tree. I'm I'm with you here, Carl. Yeah, okay, good. It's what they sometimes call a nested hierarchy, different levels of the same thing coming back, even down to the electron, so to speak. It's the same. It's just uh, different manifestation levels. But you're saying we have the potential here to move from the evolution of consciousness to conscious evolution. That's right. And what would conscious evolution be like, and how would it be different? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. What I do know, and what I don't think everyone knows, is that so far, people have actually been like puppets in the divine creation process. That the way we have looked upon uh, our world... And we have thought as human beings that we have created it from our own power and so forth. But if you start looking at the Mayan calendar, you find that all of these things are actually find their origin in a cosmic plan of shifting energies where we have been very little more than than puppets. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You can have fun as a puppet as well. But that's the way I, I look upon it. And I think... It's only from that starting point that you may understand then that there could be a shift to conscious evolution where human beings have gone through this whole evolution that is guided and and determined by the tree of life and instead becomes the creator of her, her destiny. And that is what would happen. So in the Mayan calendar, they say that after these nine underworlds, it's not that we go back to another repeat of a cycle we start back at level one it's not like that it's that we're now I wouldn't in an think unknown so. zone no at the end of the calendar. i don't think there is any evidence that that would be the case okay i'm curious speaking of evidence i'm curious you've gone in and researched and studied and created this interpretation of the mayan calendar are there people who confirm your interpretation well it depends on who you're asking 
Well, I'm asking you um, if there are any other scholars or researchers that have confirmed your interpretation. I mean, if you're asking or professional any, okay, yeah. Mayanists, I would say there's no one. If you go into the academic community, I would say there's no one. But at this point, there is a, a high number of books of people that are sort of outside of that particular frame and uh, that have been written just on the basis of this particular way of looking on the calendar. Well, I mean, you told me that when you began in Stockholm, you were a scientist. Sometimes when I hear about interpretations from the Mayan calendar, I wonder how much are they the perspective of a scientist versus more like the perspective of a poet or yeah, yeah. a mythmaker. And I'm curious yeah. what you think about that as someone who has a background in science. Yeah, because I, unlike most people, have a background in, in science. This means that I usually don't say anything unless it's backed up by empirical evidence. And so that's what my books are about, that I sort of track these different evolutions from seed to mature fruit and see stepwise how, how well they align with the different shift points in the calendar and so forth. That is the evidence. Now, just because somebody is a Mayanist, they might say that that has no value, that it doesn't fit their worldview and so forth. But what I think makes my own work very valuable is, is this very fact that I'm not telling people that I'm a fantastic prophet and they should listen to me because I'm a prophet. What I'm saying is that here you have the empirical evidence. Here you can track different things and then you can make your own judgment. Then you can understand by yourself the different patterns that the Mayan calendar and make your own conclusions. But what do you and mean empirical evidence? What empirical evidence has there been for your interpretations? Well, an enormous amount. Anybody who reads my book knows that there's a lot of Can you that. tell me maybe two or three of the main pieces of empirical evidence that will impress me? <laughs> you know, there's so much of this in my books that what is not, the question is what does not follow the Mayan calendar? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm throwing it back to you. I would say I'm not knowledgeable enough to respond either about what the calendar has predicted or about what's happening yeah. worldwide. Right. The question is serious. Can you find anything that evolves that does not follow the, the Mayan calendar? Well, I mean, just in the course of our conversation, we're talking about this being the quote-unquote galactic underworld. And yeah. as I said, I think we can think of plenty of examples of what's happening in the world that we wouldn't think reflects an appreciation of our interdependence as a species, let alone a bigger view. Meaning yeah. there's so many parts, so many humans, so many actions, so many parts of the world, so many political groups of people in power in different countries that don't seem to be part of anything that I would call a high consciousness galactic phase of history. Mm. Yeah, I agree. So that's what I would say contradicts the claim of the calendar just at a very simple level based on our conversation. Okay. So it means you don't believe in it? I would say I have a curiosity about the mystery of 2012, which is why I've enjoyed our conversation. But I'm mm -hmm. skeptical and cautiously optimistic that we are going through a positive evolutionary shift. Good. Good.